listening to Connection Church's podcast. Amen. Merry Christmas to all of you. Here at Connection, one of the things that uh, we have adopted is a definition of hope that I heard someone say the other day, and that definition um, is living with an expectation and an expectancy that the best days of your life are still ahead and not behind. Um, We say it a little more easily, a little more succinctly, that the best is always yet to come. And that's the truth for those who are in Christ, because Christ has overcome death, he's overcome hell, he's overcome the grave, and because he's overcome, those of us who put our faith in him have the promise of overcoming as well. I don't know of any greater news than you could hear than to know that by faith and by what Jesus did for us, that we have eternal life and the promise of life in the kingdom of God. I wanna talk to you about how we come into that hope. Um, I wanna talk to you about what it is that, that makes that hope secure for us. That's what I want to speak to you about tonight. If you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter three I want to begin reading in verse 16 and read through verse 21, and then I want to go backwards and I want to read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. It says in verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Verses one and two in chapter three. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a man of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this night that we can come and we can worship you. We can celebrate your birth, God. And yet, God, we are humbled, God, by the fact that you were born not to live, but to die a sacrificial death for us. And God, we thank you for that. I pray in the next few minutes that you would speak to our hearts about that, that for those of us who have put our faith in you, God, and are trusting in you for salvation and for life, that we would fall more in love with you as we are again reminded of what you've done. For those who don't know you, Lord, I pray that tonight you would speak to their hearts and they would, God, have their hearts open to receive the greatest news that they'll ever hear. And that's that you've made a way for them to be reconciled to you. It's in the mighty and awesome name of Jesus that we pray, amen. How many of you, maybe when you were growing up, you, you liked to play uh, hide and seek? It's probably a pretty popular game, pretty inexpensive, right? So we could play that one. How many of you, let's admit it, were you 
Scared of the dark. Anybody scared of the dark when you played hide and seek? How many of you? Yeah, it's sissies. That's what you, no, I'm kidding. Um, I was scared of the dark too, and sometimes maybe, maybe, I mean, I could be still scared of the dark at times. But I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about how when we would play hide and seek at night outside in the dark, a lot of times I would um, not want to be in the dark because I was afraid of the dark, but I didn't want to be all the way out in the light because if I was all the way out in the light, I would be caught, right? People would see me. I'd be found out. And I I feel like a lot of us live our spiritual lives that way. We don't want to be completely in the dark because that's a little scary. But we don't necessarily want to live in the light because we're afraid that somebody might find us out. Something in our life, something that maybe God needs to deal with in our hearts. I feel like that's important for us to see tonight as we read those scriptures about the light coming into the world, which means Jesus. And he came into darkness, which is us, which is the world we live in. See, this conversation that we're about to read about, about Nicodemus, is is all about that. It's it's Jesus' plea, and he's pleading with us again tonight that we would come into the light. This conversation is Jesus' plea with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, come out of darkness and come into light. But for us to fully appreciate what um, this means and what's taking place, you need to know a little bit about this man, Nicodemus. At some point tonight, I'm gonna mess up his name. I'll probably call him Nicodemus or Nick or something like that. Just bear with me. But you need to know a few things about Nicodemus. Nicodemus was one of the most respected teachers and theologians of his day. Nicodemus had high political standing. He was well respected by not only the other Jewish people, but also uh, by the Romans. Uh, He was a part of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling council of that day. He was a Pharisee, meaning he was a religious leader. He was, some people account him as the fourth richest man in all of Jerusalem. Like if you were to look up the most interesting man in the world, right? Back in the first century, it could possibly have been Nicodemus. And yet Jesus comes to him and I want you to hear what Jesus says to him in verse three. Nicodemus has all of these things. He's got all of these religious accolades and this is what Jesus says. When Nicodemus calls him rabbi, he shows him a little bit of respect and he says, we believe that you've come from God. But then Jesus replies and he says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. See, this is remarkable because if there was anybody in Jerusalem that had the right to see the kingdom of God, meaning to participate in the kingdom of God, meaning to participate in eternal life with God, it would be Nicodemus, right? I mean, he had the right pedigree. He was obviously in favor with God because he was rich, just what they would think. He had did all, done all the religious things. He, he had been in all the, the right places. He, he had said all the right things. He was zealous for the law and for the works of God. Certainly, if anybody could get into the kingdom based off of who they were, would it not be Nicodemus? And yet Jesus looks at him and he says, Nicodemus, there's something you still lack. And see, I believe this was speaking directly to a place in Nicodemus's heart that he knew there's something I'm still missing. He had all of this stuff, he had everything, but yet there was something in him that said, you don't have something. There's something big missing. 
And see, the reality of this, and this is what I want you guys to see tonight, I want you to understand, uh, is that if we're apart from Christ, there's something missing in our lives as well. If we're apart from Christ, there's a void in us that will never, ever, ever be satisfied. Here's the fourth richest man in Jerusalem, and yet he's still looking, he's still searching, he's still wondering, he's still questioning, he's still asking, what is it that I'm missing? Isn't that the cry of our hearts many times? If we're an unbeliever, we haven't come to faith in Christ yet. Isn't that something in us at the core of our being that tells us there's something missing, that tells us there's more to life than what we're experiencing? And even if you are a believer, you know that when you wander away from Christ because our hearts are prone to wander, that you get to that place where you realize, once again, something is missing. And it's true for all of us because we were created for a relationship with God. And God sent his son as we read so that we could have that relationship. Listen to what Nicodemus replies when Jesus calls him out and says, listen man, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And you know, at this point, there's a lot of times I think Jesus watches my life. And, and, and when I do certain things, I think he just goes, oh my gosh. And I think this is one of those times for Nicodemus. Like he's like, how can we do this? And first of all, you know, like if that's it, just I'll take hell, right? You know what I'm saying? If that's what it's going to be. But second, it's like, what's he thinking? How's he missing it this far? And yet Jesus in verse five, he goes on and restates it again. It says, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. So he's telling him again, you need to be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. But this time he gives basically three clarifications to show him what he's talking about. The first one is he tells us that you have to be born of water and the spirit. And he's referring back to this new birth, this one birth that takes place. He's trying to show Nicodemus, you have to be born from above. Remember, Nicodemus has a great understanding of Old Testament scripture. And I want to just read to you real quick. It'll be on the screen. You don't have to flip there. I want to read to you a scripture that Jesus is referring to and a scripture that Nicodemus should have known very well and did know, but wasn't applying it to this situation. In Ezekiel chapter 36, Beginning in verse 25, Ezekiel was a prophet about 600 years before God. And in this text, he's prophesying about the days when the Messiah will walk the earth. The Messiah meaning anointed one, Jesus, when he came, came as the Messiah. Verse 25 says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In this, we see what Jesus is referring to. We see Jesus telling us that it is from above that we are washed and that we are cleansed, that it is from above the Spirit of God comes and He gives us this new spirit. In other words, He gives us new life. And He's telling Nicodemus, Nicodemus, this is the requirement that 
for you to enter the kingdom of heaven, that you be born again. In other words, that you be cleansed, made new, that you be given a new spirit, a new nature, made a new person. It's why in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says that he was in Christ as a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And so what we see here is Jesus teaching him, Nicodemus, you, you, you're missing it. You've got to be born again. And we hear people say it all the time, born again Christian. This is what he's referring to. A cleansing that makes us pure and makes us whole. And then this rebirth, this regeneration of our hearts, this new spirit that God places within us. That is the typical Christian experience that we're made new. He goes on in John chapter three, in verse six, he says, flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit. In other words, Nicodemus, even if you had another physical birth, you'd screw that one up too. That's basically what he's saying. How many of you know, like if you could get a do-over, you used to get do-overs when you played ball in the yard, right? How many of you know, if you could get a do-over, we'd still screw that up? we still sin, we still make mistakes, we still fall short of the glory of God? And what he's basically telling him is Nicodemus, Flesh can't give birth to this life. This life has to come from above. It's only given by the Spirit. And then Jesus says, you shouldn't be surprised by my saying that you must be born again. He's like, Nicodemus, you know the scriptures. You know that they taught that when the Messiah came, that this would happen, that people would be given new hearts, that people would begin to be cleansed of their sin, that people would be given hope, and that they would be able to know that the best is yet to come. And then he says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In other words, Nicodemus, understand, just as the wind, you can't see it, it's somewhat mysterious, you don't know where it goes, you feel its effect, so it is when the Spirit of God comes upon someone's life and enters someone and gives them new life. It only happens through the power of God. He said, Nicodemus, listen, you've got all the religious accolades. You've got all of these things, but Nicodemus, you don't need another degree. Nicodemus, you don't need another religious task to do. Nicodemus, you don't need another enlightenment. You don't need more intelligence. You don't need to become more religious. What you need is an encounter with the Holy Spirit so that he can birth something new inside of you. So that he can give you life that you can't have on your own. And then Nicodemus says this, how can this be? In other words, how does this happen? You're telling me this, but how? How does this happen? How am I born again? How do I receive this new nature? How do I receive a new heart? And then Jesus again asked him, you're Israel's teacher and you do not understand these things? He's saying, how do you not know? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you believe people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. In other words, Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you know all the scriptures. The one who can tell you all the mysteries of life the one who was there from the moment of creation and before. I'm here, but you won't receive what I'm telling you. 
In fact, he's saying, Nicodemus, you know all the scriptures, you can sing all the songs, you can go through all the ceremonial cleansing rituals, but you can't recognize God when he's standing in front of you. Isn't that a sad place to be? And I wonder how many people have spent years and, and just time after time around church. How many times have we opened the Bible maybe even, but we've never really recognized God? How many times have we been around church or around religious activity, and yet we can't say that we've had this experience where the Spirit of God gives us this new heart, that the Spirit of God gives us this new life? Because this is the thing that Jesus wants Nicodemus to have, and it's what he wants us to have. Nicodemus is confused, how do I get this? Jesus is telling him, you know plenty of scripture. You, you know all the right things. And Jesus says, but just as Moses, in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. See, to understand that, again, we have to go back to Nicodemus understanding and knowing the Old Testament. Jesus is referring to a passage of scripture in Numbers 21, when the Israelites, the Jewish people were walking through the desert, they're, they're, they're traveling along, they begin to grumble and mumble. They were a lot like us, they're quickly dissatisfied, right? And so they're grumbling and they're mumbling and they're having this fit. And, and, and God, uh, basically, because of their unbelief and their lack of trust, sends these serpents in. And when these serpents start biting people, people start dying. Um, the people come and they go, listen, we've sinned, we screwed up. Moses prays to God and God says, if you make a bronze serpent, stick it on a pole and hold it up. Those who are bitten, when they look at that pole and they look at that bronze serpent on that pole, they will be healed. And see, that seems so bizarre and so weird until you hear Jesus quote it. And what Jesus is referring to is him being lifted up on the cross. And so all of these years, before God says, listen, I'm gonna give you this so that you can look back at this and go, oh, right? And we see that in this, that serpent on that pole represents our sin. It represents the fact that they, they were sinning and just like them, we have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Every one of us. And when they would turn and they would look at that serpent on that pole, it was them acknowledging their sin and then also at the same time trusting in God that he was the source of life. And see, it's very similar to us when we look to Christ on the cross and we acknowledge that that's my sin that's on him. Those stripes on his back, that beating that he took, that should have been my beating. The hands that were nailed to the cross, those should have been my hands. The wrath and the judgment that was placed on him, that, that should have been my wrath and my judgment, the condemnation that he felt, that should have been my condemnation. It's us humbling ourselves and acknowledging the fact that that's what I deserve. And yet the good news is Jesus did that for us so that we don't have to go through that, so that we can be set free from sin. We can come out of the darkness into the light. And even though we're not perfect, it no longer matters because we know that our imperfections have been covered by the one who is perfect. And when we look at this, we, we begin to see this, this hope that comes. That's why the best is yet to come for those who are in Christ because Jesus overcame the world. 
See, I'll tell you this, that this, this text in 14 and 15 is saying the way that you find life is by faith in Christ. The way that you find life is recognizing and believing and trusting and, and putting your life's weight, the weight of your life on Jesus and saying, I believe that he is who he says he is and he has done what he says he would do. I believe that he is God. I believe that he did come. I believe that he did walk on this earth. I believe he lived the life that he I couldn't live. I believe he died the death that I should have died. I believe that he was put in a tomb. I believe that he rose from the grave and that he, because he rose, has overcome death. And because he overcome death, so will I. And because he has come and he has made a way for me, I will spend the rest of my life, I will spend the rest of eternity with him. So you don't go from death to life when you die because we're already spiritually dead if we're not in Christ. The good news is that eternity for the Christian begins at the moment of faith. We come alive then. We begin to experience life in a real way, in a way that we never have before. When you look at this and we come back to where we began in John 3, 16, this is what we see. The Bible says, for God so loved what? The world. Do you, do you hear and see how inclusive that is? Do you hear and see how big God's love is? Thank God he didn't go, I love all the pretty people, right? I would have been left out. Thank God he didn't say nobody with black hair and a red beard can come in, right? I would have been left out, but it says the world. God's heart is that, that all people would say yes to this inclusive invitation, that we would just accept it. When Susan and I, a few weeks ago, my wife and I, we went to on a, a makeup honeymoon trip. I, 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 it's a makeup because we went to Cancun on our honeymoon, but that was before Christ for me. And I'll just say I was partaking of a spirit and it was not the spirit of God, right? And we went and we had a makeup honeymoon trip to St. Lucia, which was absolutely incredible. And so we went on our first trip, it was all inclusive. This trip we just went on was all inclusive. Um, and, and when uh, I got down there the first time, I was like, uh, yeah, uh, Corona please. And they come over and they bring it. And I'm like trying to reach for my wallet. They're like, no, you don't pay. I was like, no pay, okay, two more please. And then now it's more like, hey, uh, French fries, those are included too? Bring them, just keep bringing them until I pass out, right? It was all inclusive. And the price had already been paid for the trip. When I got there, I was able to do everything on that resort for free. It didn't cost me anything. I see, I'd already paid for it. I'd already, I'd already paid the bill. Once I got there, it was, it was all included. I was able to enjoy it all. How foolish would it have been when I got there to have said, no, nah, I'm not gonna eat. I don't wanna enjoy the food. I don't wanna enjoy the, the, the entertainment. I'm good. And I was thinking about that in light of this offer that Jesus gives us. And you know what hit me and what I realized? How foolish is it that when Jesus gives us this offer, many times we refuse it? How foolish is it? And see, it's even better than my inclusive trip because I didn't have to pay for this, God himself paid so that I could be included. He put his son on there. It cost him his one and only son. He gave his best so that we could have life. And see, here's where I feel guilty. Many times I don't feel like I deserve that. In fact, I know what I deserve. I deserve hell. And yet God's grace gave me life through his son. 
an amazing God we serve. In verse 19, it says, this is the verdict. And that's when he begins to talk about the light and the darkness. That's when he begins to talk about coming into the light. And see, when the light of the world came, when Jesus came, he basically put it upon every human being to make a choice. And that choice is to receive him or to reject him. See, at this point now, because of what Jesus did, sin is no longer the issue. Death is no longer the issue. Condemnation is no longer the issue because Jesus paid for sin. So belief has become the issue. There's two groups of people, those who have faith and those who don't. And the reality of it is that every one of us fall into that place somewhere. My question to you is which one are you in? My question to you is are you living or are you just existing? Have you tasted how good the Lord is or are you just muddling through life? I'm not asking you about your church attendance. I'm not asking you about your Bible reading. I'm not asking you about how many hymns you know or how many um, Christian contemporary songs you know. I'm not asking you about how many preachers you know. I'm not asking you about how good of a Christian your grandparents were. What I'm asking you is, have you come into a relationship, a life-giving relationship with Jesus? Because if not, man, praying that the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart tonight. He's inviting you to life. How foolish to say no. How foolish to not humble ourselves, acknowledge our need for a Savior because of our sin. Say, God, I'm done with that old life. I want the life that you offer. And from now on, God, I'll follow you with everything that I have. Let's pray. God, I thank you for life, for Jesus, for the fact that he paid the price for our sin, for my sin, God. And I realized that my sin couldn't force him upon that cross, but his love for me made him willing to do it. God, I pray for anyone here tonight who doesn't know you, who hasn't said yes to this invitation, who hasn't just said yes to this inclusive invitation that you've paid the price for. Pray for the person here who feels that they're so far away from you that they can never come to you. I pray for the person here who maybe feels that they're too far for your arm to save, but God, I thank you that it's not. I wanna ask you this question tonight as you pray. The Lord's speaking to your heart and, and he's, he's calling you, but you've never said yes to his invitation. Now listen, we've been praying for you and we, we have been begging that God would open the eyes of your heart to receive him tonight. Now here's my question. Tonight the Lord is speaking to your heart and for the first time you would say yes to his invitation of a relationship, yes to his forgiveness, yes to his call to follow that you would say yes to him being the Lord and Savior of your life. If that's you tonight and that's the place where you find yourself tonight, would you stick your hand up in the air where I can see it? Way up in the air where I can see it. You say yes tonight for the first time. 
to this offer, this invitation that Jesus has given. Father, we thank you because God, you are good. I pray for the people here, God, who maybe they are in a place where they lack hope. Maybe it's hard to fathom that any day ahead could be better than the days behind, but I pray that you would, by your spirit, just comfort them. Let them know you're with them. Draw us to yourself, Lord, and let us walk in the power of the light of the world. In Christ's name we pray.